I were. In fact, I wish I'd never been born. The little man stood looking at him in the growing darkness. What was that you said? he asked softly. Well, I said I wish I'd never been born, George repeated firmly, and I mean it, too. The stranger's pink cheeks glowed with excitement. Why, that's wonderful. You've solved everything. I was afraid you were going to give me some trouble. But now you've got the solution yourself. You wish you'd never been born. All right. Okay. You haven't. What do you mean, George growled. You haven't been born. Just that. You haven't been born. No one knows you here. You have no responsibilities, no job, no wife, no children. Why, you haven't even a mother. Well, you couldn't have, of course. All your troubles are over. Your wish, I'm happy to say, has been granted, officially. Nuts, George snorted and turned away. The stranger ran after him and caught him by the arm. You'd better take this with you, he said, holding out his satchel. It'll open a lot of doors that might otherwise be slammed in your face. What doors and whose face, George scoffed. I know everybody in this town, and besides, I'd like to see anybody slam a door in my face. Yes, I know, the little man said patiently, but take this anyway. Can't do any harm, and it may help. He opened the satchel and displayed a number of brushes. You'd be surprised how useful these brushes can be as an introduction, especially the free ones. These, I mean. He hauled out a plain little hand brush. I'll show you how to use it. He thrust the satchel into George's reluctant hands and began. When the lady of the house comes to the door, you give her this and then talk fast. You say, Good evening, madam. I am from the World Cleaning Company, and I want to present you with this handsome and useful brush. Absolutely free. No obligation to purchase anything at all. After that, of course, it's a cinch. Now you try it. He forced the brush into George's hand. George promptly dropped the brush into the satchel and fumbled with the catch, finally closing it with an angry snap. Here, he said, and then stopped abruptly, for there was no one in sight. The little stranger must have slipped away into the bushes growing along the river bank, George thought. He certainly wasn't going to play hide-and-seek with him. It was nearly dark and getting colder every minute. He shivered and turned up his coat collar. The streetlights had been turned on, and Christmas candles in the windows glowed softly. The little town looked remarkably cheerful. After all, the place you grew up in was the one spot on earth where you really could feel at home. George felt a sudden burst of affection even for crotchety old Hank Biddle, whose house he was passing. He remembered the quarrel he had had when his car had scraped a piece of bark out of Hank's big maple tree. George looked up at the vast spread of leafless branches towering over him in the darkness. The tree must have been growing there since Indian times. He felt a sudden twinge of guilt for the damage he had done. He had never stopped to inspect the wound, for he was ordinarily afraid to have Hank catch him even looking at the tree. Now he stepped out boldly into the roadway to examine the huge trunk. Hank must have repaired the scar or painted over it, for there was no sign of it. George struck a match and bent down to look more closely. He straightened up with an odd sinking feeling in his stomach. There wasn't any scar. The bark was smooth and undamaged. He remembered what the little man at the bridge had said. It was all nonsense, of course, 
but the non-existent scar bothered him. When he reached the bank, he saw that something was wrong. The building was dark, and he knew he had turned the vault light on. He noticed, too, that someone had left the window shades open. He ran round to the front. There was a battered old sign fastened on the door. George could just make out the words, For rent or sale, apply James Silva, real estate. Perhaps it was some boy's trick, he thought wildly. Then he saw a pile of ancient leaves and tattered newspapers in the bank's ordinarily immaculate doorway. And the windows looked as though they hadn't been washed in years. A light was still burning across the street in Jim Silva's office. George dashed over and tore the door open. Jim looked up from his ledger book in surprise. What can I do for you, young man, he said in the polite voice he reserved for potential customers. The bank, George said breathlessly. What's the matter with it? The old bank building? Jim Silva turned around and looked out the window. Nothing that I can see. Wouldn't like to rent or buy it, would you? You mean it's out of business? For a good ten years. Went bust during the Depression. Strange around these parts, ain't you? George sagged against the wall. I was here some time ago, he said weakly. The bank was all right then. I even knew some of the people who worked there. Didn't know a fellow named Marty Jenkins, did you? Marty Jenkins? Why, he... George was about to say that Marty had never worked at the bank. Couldn't have, in fact, for when they had both left school, they had applied for a job there and George had gotten it. But now, of course, things were different. He would have to be careful. No, I didn't know him, he said slowly. Not really, that is. I had heard of him. Then maybe you heard how he skipped out with $50,000. That's why the bank went broke. Pretty near ruined everybody around here. Silver was looking at him sharply. I was hoping for a minute maybe you'd know where he is. I lost plenty in that crash myself. We'd like to get our hands on Marty Jenkins. Didn't he have a brother? Seems to me he had a brother named Arthur. Art? Oh, sure, but he's all right. He don't know where his brother went. It's had a terrible effect on him, too. Took to drink, he did. It's too bad. And hard on his wife. He married a nice girl. George felt a sinking feeling in his stomach again. Who did he marry, he demanded hoarsely. Both he and Art had courted Mary. Girl named Mary Thatcher, Silva said cheerfully. She lives up on the hill, just this side of the church. Hey, where are you going? But George had bolted out of the office. He ran past the empty bank building and turned up the hill. For a moment he thought of going straight to Mary. The house next to the church had been given to them by her father as a wedding present. Naturally, Art Jenkins would have gotten it if he had married Mary. George wondered whether they had any children. Then he knew he couldn't face Mary, not yet anyway. He decided to visit his parents and find out more about her. There were candles burning in the windows of the little weather-beaten house on the side street and a Christmas wreath was hanging on the glass panel of the front door. George raised the gate latch with a loud click. A dark shape on the porch jumped up and began to growl. Then it hurled itself down the steps, barking ferociously. Brownie, George shouted. Brownie, you old fool, stop that. Don't you know me? But the dog advanced menacingly and drove him back behind the gate. The porch light snapped on, and George's father stepped outside to call the dog off. The barking subsided 
to a low, angry growl. His father held the dog by the collar while George cautiously walked past. He could see that his father didn't know him. Is the lady of the house in, he asked. His father waved toward the door. Go on in, he said cordially. I'll chain this dog up. She could be mean with strangers. His mother, who was waiting in the hallway, obviously didn't recognize him. George opened his sample kit and grabbed the first brush that came to hand. Good evening, ma'am, he said politely. I'm from the World Cleaning Company. We're giving out a free sample brush. I thought you might like to have one. No obligation. No obligation at all, his voice faltered. His mother smiled at his awkwardness. I suppose you'll want to sell me something. I'm not really sure I need any brushes. No, ma'am, I'm not selling anything, he assured her. The regular salesman will be around in a few days. This is just, well, just a Christmas present from the company. How nice, she said. You people never gave such good brushes away before. This is a special offer, he said. His father entered the hall and closed the door. Won't you come in for a while and sit down, his mother said. You must be tired walking so much. Thank you, ma'am. I don't mind if I do. He entered the little parlor and put his bag down on the floor. The room looked different somehow, although he could not figure out why. I used to know this town pretty well, he said to make conversation. Knew some of the townspeople. I remember a girl named Mary Thatcher. She married Art Jenkins, I heard. You must know them. Of course, his mother said. We know Mary well. Any children, he asked casually. Two, a boy and a girl. George sighed audibly. My, you must be tired, his mother said. Perhaps I can get you a cup of tea. No, ma'am, don't bother, he said. I'll be having supper soon. He looked around the little parlor, trying to find out why it looked so different. Over the mantelpiece hung a framed photograph which had been taken on his kid brother Harry's sixteenth birthday. He remembered how they had gone to Potter's studio to be photographed together. There was something queer about the picture. It took him a full minute to realize what it was. It showed only one figure, Harry's. That your son, he asked. His mother's face clouded. She nodded but said nothing. I think I met him too, George said hesitantly. His name's Harry, isn't it? His mother turned away, making a strange choking noise in her throat. Her husband put his arm clumsily around her shoulder. His voice, which was always mild and gentle, suddenly became harsh. You couldn't have met him, he said. He's been dead a long while. He was drowned the day that picture was taken. George's mind flew back to the long-ago August afternoon when he and Harry had visited Potter's studio. On their way home, they had gone swimming. Harry had been seized with a cramp, he remembered. He had pulled him out of the water and had thought nothing of it. But suppose he hadn't been there. I'm sorry, he said miserably. I guess I'd better go. I hope you like the brush, and I wish you both a very Merry Christmas. There, he had put his foot in it again, wishing them a Merry Christmas when they were thinking about their dead son. Brownie tugged fiercely at her chain as George went down the porch steps and accompanied his departure with a hostile, rolling growl. He wanted desperately now to see Mary. He wasn't sure he could stand not being recognized by her, but he had to see her. The lights were on in the church, and the choir was making last-minute preparations for Christmas vespers. The organ had been practicing holy night evening after evening until George had become thoroughly sick of it. But now the music almost tore his heart out. He stumbled blindly up the path to his own house.
The lawn was untidy, and the flower bushes he had kept carefully trimmed were neglected and badly sprouted. Art Jenkins could hardly be expected to care for such things. When he knocked at the door, there was a long silence, followed by the shout of a child. Then Mary came to the door. At the sight of her, George's voice almost failed him. Merry Christmas, ma'am, he managed to say at last. His hand shook as he tried to open the satchel. Come in, Mary said indifferently. It's cold out. When George entered the living room, unhappy as he was, he could not help noticing with a secret grin that the too high-priced blue sofa they often had quarreled over was there. Evidently, Mary had gone through the same thing with Art Jenkins and had won the argument with him, too. George got his satchel open. One of the brushes had a bright blue handle and very colored bristles. It was obviously a brush not intended to be given away, but George didn't care. He handed it to Mary. This would be fine for your sofa, he said. My, that's a pretty brush, she exclaimed. You're giving it away free? He nodded solemnly. Special introductory offer. It's one way for the company to keep excess profits down. Share them with its friends. She stroked the sofa gently with the brush, smoothing out the velvety nap. It is a nice brush. Thank you, I... There was a sudden scream from the kitchen, and two small children rushed in. A little homely-faced girl flung herself into her mother's arms, sobbing loudly as a boy of seven came running after her, snapping a toy pistol at her head. Mommy, she won't die, he yelled. I shot her a hundred times, but she won't die. He looks just like Art Jenkins, George thought. Acts like him, too. The boy suddenly turned his attention to him. Who are you? he demanded belligerently. He pointed his pistol at George and pulled the trigger. You're dead, he cried. You're dead. Why don't you fall down and die? There was a heavy step on the porch. The boy looked frightened and backed away. George saw Mary glance apprehensively at the door. Art Jenkins came in. He stood for a moment in the doorway, clinging to the knob for support. His eyes were glazed, and his face was very red. Who's this? he demanded thickly. He's a brush salesman, Mary tried to explain. He gave me this brush. Brush salesman, Art sneered. Well, tell him to get out of here. We don't want no brushes. Art hiccuped violently and lurched across the room to the sofa where he sat down suddenly. And we don't want no brush salesman neither. You'd better go, Mary whispered to George. I'm sorry. The boy edged towards George. Go on, go away. We don't want no brushes, and we don't want no old brush salesman neither. George looked despairingly at Mary.